You are tuned in to the Sparkles and Fairy Lights podcast. Imogen Campbell is your host. Welcome back to the Sparkles and Fairy Lights podcast, where topics like balance and forgiveness are discussed. Today, I share about the nuances of forgiveness and specifically the misconceptions that bedevil the process of forgiveness and could hinder it taking place altogether. I will share lessons learned through my experience in the context of the Christian church. Perhaps in some small way, it can be of use to you. Misconception number one is that forgiveness is easy. That everyone is in need of forgiveness at some point in their lives is indisputable. No one is perfect. And all of us will, inadvertently, end up offending each other at some point. It's just how it is. A relatively small slight or miscommunication is quite easy to resolve. But what about when somebody has acted egregiously and been responsible for tremendous loss? Consequences of actions could range from permanent disability to being robbed of livelihood to the loss of the life of a loved one. Raw pain is sure to come, or deep humiliation, and perhaps raging, out-of-control anger, leaving the offended party reeling by the mere mention of a name. Anger is one of the primal emotions when personal boundaries have been violated. It's that red-hot warning our minds and bodies send us to tell us about the violation. What do we do with these emotions? Ephesians 4, 31-32 gives us a good blueprint about how to tackle it, I quote, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. From my own experience, I believe that we need to work through these emotions and do whatever works, whether it be writing about it, talking about it, exercising away the frustration, or resorting to getting professional help if need be. But I implore you, don't ruminate on it and allow the anger to fester. If not, it will infect your life with soul-destroying hatred, bitterness and the like. And it will waste so much precious time. It certainly will not lead to forgiveness, but most definitely become a platform for rampant slander and miscreant behaviors. Jesus, as always, is such a shining example. Through the cross, he died to atone for sin and ensure forgiveness. It cost him everything, his very life. But that was the price he was willing to pay to set us free. Let us not allow ourselves to be entangled in it again when he has paid such a hefty price. Dale Carnegie hit the nail on the head when he said, any fool can criticize, condemn and complain, but it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. That brings us to the second misconception, which is that forgiveness is a feeling. The Bible exhorts us to forgive others. Passages like Matthew 6 verse 15 entreat us to do so. Perhaps in the battle with our deepest wounds, we've committed it to God only to find ourselves struggling with the raw pain yet again. Have we truly forgiven then? When the shock, anger and feelings of betrayal are so raw, how do we remotely know when we have forgiven? Then it's time to stand on our decision before God to forgive. Oftentimes, it comes from a place of desperately wanting to obey God. He knows and understands, despite the outbursts of anger or tears, that suddenly well up 
In my own struggles, I discovered that my initial decision was enough. Released from the fear that I was unforgiving and somehow offending God, it afforded me the freedom to work through the pain. And one fine day, I found that situations that had triggered me in the past no longer did. Forgiveness had done its work, even though it had taken years. The hurt had been relegated to the pages of history, and that's where I intend to keep it. Misconception number three is that forgiveness makes you a doormat. I'll be the first to confess that I had flawed understanding of the scripture in Matthew 18 to 21, quote the New International Version, as follows. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The heartache as a result was so acute, I felt as though I had to forgive anyone every time they hurt me. This misconception held me captive for the longest time. I felt like this gave carte blanche to anyone who to come and take a swipe at me. I felt like it was open season and everyone could take a turn to treat me as they wished with no repercussions. The breakthrough came for me when I realized that I'm called to forgive historic offenses and not enable someone to harm me over and over again without consequences. I could say enough is enough. Jesus never instructed Peter to allow anyone to sin, certainly not enable them to find new ways to sin without impunity. He was instructing us that we need to be willing to forgive and not become the local punching bag. You are a child of the Most High of all, who is love, and one of the qualities of love is protection. Now my friend, God won't allow people to just trample all over you. The fourth misconception is that forgiveness means staying friends. I thought that forgiveness meant resuming a friendship at the same level as before it had been marred. I've learned that sometimes a friendship has simply run its course. And whether you are the offending party or the offended person, not being friends any longer does not mean that forgiveness has not taken place. Remaining friends out of this mistaken belief may in fact make things worse. It doesn't mean that you no longer love the person. It doesn't mean you wish them ill either. To the contrary, you have a happy and whole heart, but are mature enough to know that the friendship has changed. But even so, you wish them well. Then you know you have in fact forgiven. I know that I've surrendered something to God in entirety and have either been forgiven or have forgiven when the peace that transcends all understanding as described in Philippians 4 verse 7 is experienced and I rely on the fact that Jesus has given us peace. I'd like to read um, John 14 verse 27 together. I quote, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That brings us to misconception number five, which is forgiveness always means reconciliation. It's a personal story. Long time ago, I put myself into a friendship. Sadly, it came to an abrupt end, partly as a result of my actions. In the old days, I would rush to provide assistance if something untoward happened. If a relative was ill, I was at the hospital or lending an ear. When the person needed money, I was there with a parcel that I could ill afford, always willing to give them my most precious of resources, time and energy. But one day, I figured out that if it was not reciprocated, all rather one-sided, I decided that I would step back a bit, wait for them to make contact to see if they really cared about me. Would that person just call to find out how I was? The answer is no. 
I thought surely if they cared, they would make an effort to see me when my father died. I gave them a year to reach out and make time to see me after my father died. Nothing. Now nearly nine years later, I expect nothing. In the interim, all I hoped for was, um, you know, just a couple of texts, just saying, how are you doing? Just that kind of thing. Nothing elaborate, no dinners, no nothing. Just messages which were not forthcoming to be afraid. I tried everything I knew how to as well. I went around to the said friend's place. Friend was not there. Sent text messages, no response. Tried social media, same thing. I even posted a card in an effort to reconcile and rekindle a friendship. Though multifaceted and complicated it was. And one I once held so dear. You see, trauma had bound us. And my friends seemed to be lurching from crisis to crisis and I wanted to be a support. It's probably the reason I felt hurt when my time of need came and went unanswered. Years later, knowing I had done all I could, I accepted that the friendship would not be reciprocated. I can say with a clear conscience and all my heart that I wish my former friend only the best. And if the individual ever decided to give me the time of day, I still have so much love in my heart. Could we be friends in the same way as before? No, because we're both so different now, but I do not bear any grudges. If I'm honest, I'm just sad. Perhaps my former friend feels that I'm the one who erred. Time will tell, I suppose. It brings me to, to the sixth misconception, which is that forgiveness negates reparations. Now, I live in South Africa, where a great deal of pain has been wrought and can be laid squarely on the shoulders and scourge of apartheid. As a person of color, it was particularly heartening the day I heard about the attempt by a local congregation to set aside funds for the education of people who were historically disadvantaged. The backdrop to that is that the former government had spent differently on various population groups based on race. The disparity was large and the lingering impact is still felt today. For these individuals to acknowledge it and make a sincere effort at reparation in a time when others were unwilling to even broach the subject was really something in my books. The money that they had already raised was a drop in the bucket of what we probably needed but did it not warm the cockles of my heart. It signaled that in some small corner of the city, there were people who were willing to acknowledge the wrongs of the past and do something concrete and tangible to make a difference. Even today, a lot of political rhetoric and public discourse that sows division have arisen because historically, very few people responsible for the unfair discrimination had been held to account. So their gesture went a long way to restoring my belief in mankind. The same congregation also serves their surrounding communities in other important ways and continues to be a beacon of light. Praise God. S someone can feel mean in the process of forgiveness. I'll tell you why. In the light of the point I made about not being a doormat earlier, it's clear that forgiveness is for historical offenses. It's not an open invitation to allow someone to keep harming you. Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend, who wrote the terrific book Boundaries, have this to say about people who struggle with having boundaries. People with boundary problems usually have distorted attitudes about responsibility. They feel that to hold people responsible for their feelings, choices and behaviors is mean. To people who like me had not a cooking clue about boundaries, it felt mean not to put limits in place. Selfish even. But what I did not understand was that without having limits in place, people would continue with untoward behavior. There would be a cycle of sometimes irresponsible behavior but no change. Usually one person has to pick up the pieces while the offending party merely goes along with zero consequences. 
They said sorry, didn't they? Insisting on change of behaviour is not mean in this instance. It is the rational thing to do. Otherwise, I'm afraid resentment and bitterness are sure to become dogged companions. Then a misconception number eight is that forgiveness and trust go hand in glove. Let me explain. You might find yourself in a position where trust has been broken. After working through issues, you know that you've come to a place of peace and forgiveness. But can you trust the offending party though? Every situation is different and discernment is vital. I rephrase the gist of a famous Maya Angelou quote slightly. She expressed that if somebody revealed their hearts to you by their actions, you better believe them. In other words, actions speak louder than words. If somebody comes groveling to you time and time again without corresponding change, then you'd better believe what they've shown you. As you can imagine, yours truly blundered over this for years. I tend to assume the best of people and can sometimes feel like quite the sucker. Once again, I rely on what Dr. Hendrik Clouder said in this regard. I quote a tweet of 14th May this year, which says, What someone has done before is usually a good indicator of what will happen next time. I implore you not to miss the signs. If individuals have not proven themselves to be trustworthy, they are probably not. Sometimes, situations spiral out of control and become really messy. Friendships are impacted and we may feel that we don't even want to risk getting close to a friend who's hurt us and we may even decide to forgive them but talk to them no way in those instances what is needed is actually a heart to heart and sometimes we are unwilling we would rather go and climb a mountain than have a vulnerable conversation and try to hide it under the guise of forgiveness but the news is grim will never work the thing about forgiveness seeking it or being forgiven is that there has to be vulnerability and culpability one party, the offending party, needs to ask for forgiveness and being willing to be rejected. They have to be deeply vulnerable and admit wrongdoing. Yes, sometimes the other party refuses to talk and there is in a sense a one-sided forgiveness and reconciliation is not possible. But sometimes folks just plainly fear conflict. They do not feel safe enough to voice disagreement. I've realized many of us have been wounded by attempts to address things in the past and now simply refuse out of fear. Is losing your friend worth it though? Sorry seems to be the hardest word. A song originally written by Alton John and Benny Taupin expresses a sentiment that is all too familiar. Why is it so hard to say sorry and sometimes harder still to say I forgive you? If two parties are to reach an amicable agreement, it seems obvious that a great deal of honesty and admission of guilt is required. True forgiveness and reconciliation are not possible otherwise. That is if reconciliation is the goal. The last misconception, number 10, is that justice won't be served. It is possible that you may feel like forgiving someone means that justice won't be served. There's a fear that someone who has done something horrific will get away scot-free, or will never truly understand what pain has been inflicted and endured. They get on with their own lives and yours is left in tatters. I can understand the mistaken fear that people might have. I know, I did. What I've realized is that we are all accountable to someone, whether we like it or not. Our lives have been granted to us, and someday the one who gave it to us will demand an accounting for it. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to get off scot-free. What scares me is that I'm an offending party and deserve judgment as much as the next person. Forgiveness would be amazing, so would God's grace. In those moments when life seems most unfair, 
I've been tempted to tell myself that there is karma. What goes around comes around. Not quite. But the Bible says that you will reap what you sow. Proverbs 26:27 admonishes. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. I agree, there is definitely a principle at play here. But more than that, I want you to know that if you did what God required, He says it is His to avenge. Leave the serving of justice to the living God who judges justly. Forgive those who sinned against you because they have to give an account to God and the all-knowing God lets nobody off the walk. Romans 12 verse 19 puts it like this. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That, dear friends, is our in this week's podcast. Another date with forgiveness next week. Until then, adios. Thank you for lending an ear. If you are new, consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined, please leave a review or let me know your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter.